Hello and welcome to the March episode of OMP Clinical Care Insiders, an original podcast series produced by the American Academy of Orthotists and Prosthetists. I'm Seth O'Brien, Clinical Manager and Residency Director at Artificial Limb Specialist and the Chair of the Academy's Scientific Societies Committee. Today, I'm excited to welcome Sarah Marmar and Kylie Armstrong. They're co-chairs of the Academy's Gates Society. Sarah Marmar is a certified orthotist prosthetist at Orthotic Care Services. Sarah and her husband, David, live in Elko, New Market, Minnesota, with their two rescue dogs in small town living. And Kylie Armstrong is the certified orthotist prosthetist at Rise Prosthetics. She lives in Denver, Colorado, with her partner and two cats. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our episode sponsor, Audubach. So welcome to the podcast, Sarah and Kylie. Certainly excited to have you. You're, you're our first duo on the podcast so far. What yeah. an honor. Well, we want to start out a little bit. First of all, so you're both co-chairs of the Gates Society for the Academy. And I really am curious, some societies have a single chair, some have co-chairs. How did the two of you get together? How did you become involved in the Gates Society and kind of develop this co-leadership? Yeah, so it's kind of a funny story. I was connected with Cara, the past chair of the Gates Society, back at the, I think it was the 2020 Academy meeting. And after talking with her shortly after, I got an email saying, hey, one of our members is doing this journal club for the Academy. And will you just look over her presentation? Turned out to be Kylie. So I said, sure, why not? And then very shortly after that, Kylie and I were on an email together asking, do you guys want to be co-chairs of the Gates Society to get more involved? And we both responded, yes. But that was back in summer of 2020. So, of course, then pandemic times. And it was actually those first two years because the, the Academy meeting in 2021 was virtual. Kylie and I were just communicating via email, text, FaceTime, things like that. We never met in person. You both took over as co-chairs of the society, but hadn't met in person yet because of the pandemic. No. no. <laughs> wow. It wasn't until, let's see, the last year's Academy meeting, actually, when we were both there for a hands-on session we were doing bright and early Wednesday morning. Kylie and I both flew in on Tuesday. We decided, let's share a hotel room to save some money. And my flight got in pretty late, so by the time I got to the hotel and got up to the room. Kylie's asleep in bed. So we met that next morning before our big hands-on session for the first time. In the hotel. Yeah, in the hotel room. Just went in, she's asleep, oh well, I'm just going to sleep in the bed next to her and no big deal, we'll meet in the morning. Yeah, exactly. Very normal. She put a lot of trust into me. (laughs) No kidding. And you. I mean, she could have been the masked murderer coming in and sharing a hotel with you. (laughs) Did you try to wake her at all? Was there any kind of like poke her a little bit and see what happens or no? Just be quiet and go to bed. Yeah, I kind of was just, I'll be quiet and go to bed and not bug her. Because we had to get up early the next morning. So, you know, she looked happy and asleep. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I don't don't know that. I'm a good sleeper, so... Yeah, I don't know if she would have been able to wake me. <laughs> and fair warning, she did text me saying, like, if I'm asleep, don't worry, I'm a good sleeper. So she gave me a little bit of a heads up, but I didn't think it actually happened. I, a new respect for both of you. That is brave, to say the least. It's so, really increased our uh, trust, I feel, as co-chairs. We can really put that as part of our relationship bonding. 
this is going to be a whole new like trust exercise of the account. <laughs> exactly. It's going to be just pairing up with random people who random get in people. at midnight and, you know, exactly. see what happens. Right. <laughs> so as you've kind of developed this co-leadership of the Gate Society, what are some of the things that brought you together with your love of Gate? So Kylie, what made you drawn to this society in particular? And, and maybe tell us a little bit about what is your practice background? What do you typically see and, and where does Gate fall into that? Yeah, so I see a good mix of orthotics and prosthetics in my current practice. And kind of my original passion for GATE developed in undergrad when I was studying biomedical engineering. I was in a research lab where we looked at or we were studying with individuals who had experienced spinal cord injuries, so paralysis, typically from the waist down. And that particular research lab would implant electrical stimulation into their spinal cords to kind of regain or restore some of the muscle function. And so we had a gate lab to kind of assess those motions, um, like sit to stand, some walking with in combination with exoskeletons. So I really drew like a, a passion for kind of that really numbers specific gait analysis. Like I think it's really interesting that although individuals are so unique and different, we all walk pretty similarly and that's our quote unquote normal gait. And then there's, you know, deviations from that. Um, and so then when I was in my residency, I actually, you know, realized how difficult observational gait is when you don't have the ability to in real time, slow down, pause, the motion capture screen and really like calculate angles and moments. And so that was kind of like, oh, I, I should get involved in something where I can be challenged a little bit more to explore gait, specifically in the context of orthotics and prosthetics. Um, so that was when I first reached out to Kara as she was chair of the gait society then. And that's when I got involved and led me to this position I'm in. That's great. And Sarah, for you, I, I mean, I should have asked, you know, I just saw you guys both at the Nashville meeting. And did you share a room again? Or have we grown up since then and decided no, not a good idea? We did grow up a little bit. We, we both had our own rooms at this conference. I was lucky that my employer paid for it. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. Big thank you to your employer for that one. So, Sarah, you know, in your practice, now are you your pediatric specialist, right? Yeah. So at Orthotic Care Services, we only see pediatrics and we're pretty much 100% orthotics. For me, my interest actually, when I think about it, started back in high school with a camp I was working at for kids with disabilities. And I got very close with my camper there. She had spina bifida and we we spent like six or seven summers together. And I firsthand saw a lot of her mobility challenges and for this camp where the motto was, you know, empowering kids to do everything, you know, telling them they can do something, that nothing should hold them back. I heard her saying can't a lot, that she couldn't keep up with her peers or can't participate in that activity. And I just felt like there had to be something better out there. And so I ended up going down the path of ONP. And now I find myself kind of full circle back in a pediatric clinic and helping kids improve their mobility. And kind of similar with Kylie, I end up connecting with Kara at an academy meeting out of a need to figure out how to interpret gait. And especially in my practice, when we were starting, it was a lot of just watching kids walk down the hallway. And my uh, mentor here, he, I don't know how he did it. Honestly, he would he'd watch these kids walk and be like, okay, Sarah, tell me 
everything you're seeing from heel strike what are all the phases of game what's going wrong how are we going to fix this and i was just like this kid is running and i don't see anything so i had to figure out some different strategies than working with like adult patients who you could easily tell the walk and you know that's i got connected with car and learned about taking lots of video and using that as a tool for when you don't have the luxury of a gate lab or anything like that so yeah, we kind of both ended up in Cara's hands, it seems like. Yeah, it's a great connection to have. And she did a great job with the Gate Society for a number of years. I want to move a little bit to some of the content that you've put out in part between the two of you with the July issue last year from 2021 of the Academy Today. So that was that was sponsored by the Gate Society. A few of the things that really stood out to me, I was wondering if, Sarah, maybe you could just comment a little bit on... Dr. Jerry Stark wrote a, a piece that um, there was a bullet point in there that that really just kind of hit home for me. And he said that children should not be treated like small adults. And I think that's just such a such a powerful point in a number of ways, maybe gate related specifically, but also just sometimes we get in the same habits. Anything that you can kind of enlighten us on a little bit in, in that whole theme of children should not be treated like small adults. They're they're very unique, right? Yeah, definitely. This hit home for me too. As I mentioned, my practice is all pediatric orthotics and kids are not adults at all when it comes to gate analysis. For the most part with adults, you can ask them to walk down the hallway and back and they will and you can kind of see what's going on. And if I try to ask a two-year-old or a three-year-old to do the same thing, half the time they're running out the door of our office. So it doesn't work as well. I find we have to get a lot more creative with kids. We have to make it gate analysis fun. Gate analysis is already difficult and a child that's not listening to you will make it even harder. The other thing too we have to think about when it comes to kids is their gait is still developing. And that's a big thing to take into consideration. You know, a lot of the research out there talks about heel strike emerging at 18 months. So if I'm watching a 15-month-old walk, I have to adjust the goals and what I'm looking for in terms of their gait pattern compared to a 10-year-old. And as they grow and change over time, we have to keep changing our expectations too. So it definitely makes it a lot more challenging, at least for me. And they're in that issue too, Seth. There was another article that really worked well with Jerry's, the article by Scott Hinchin about the importance of early intervention. And I think that's key when it comes to pediatrics and especially gates. With my experience with orthotics, we have a lot of power to influence joint alignments and normalize gait mechanics really early on and help them establish good gait patterns and develop appropriately and prevent a lot of these deviations from moving into adulthood. Jerry's point is really, I mean, important that we can't think about them as adults. We have a lot of influence on kids and helping set them up for success later in life. Yeah, absolutely. And you and I were actually talking about this the other day. I don't know how sometimes you can differentiate, especially with children in pediatrics. I, I was saying my kids, you know, just from watching their friends that maybe, you know, they have a friend who, of course, I pick up on that he's an idiopathic toe walker, or I assume he's an idiopathic toe walker, but all of a sudden now, you know, my kids are walking down the hall with their heels popping up right away, and it's like they mimic that so much. It's got to be challenging to kind of see over the long term what you need to really focus on to change or what is just sort of a fad from a child who's developing physically and mentally, right? Yeah. And another factor, too, are the parents with kids. You know, half the time I hear little Johnny's coming in for his appointment and mom is whispering, OK, you need to walk really nicely for Miss Sarah today. And it's like, oh, great. If you're walking nicely for me, I guess that's probably not what you're doing at home. And so 
that's another challenge is we don't know if what we're even seeing in the clinic is an accurate representation of the day-to-day for these kids. Sure. How do you address that? Do you ask parents to take video at home for you to have a better idea of what's happening in, in the real world? Yeah, especially over probably the past two years, I really started relying on that more and more. Some of these kids that we've seen go through the pandemic and not being in schools haven't had the same socialization. So they come in and they just cry the whole time or they're scared. So I rely on families a lot to give me some video to look at and I can slow it down and see what can we do when, you know, when a kiddo won't even want to walk for me that day. Yeah, video has been really powerful in my practice, both the video I'm taking in clinic, but also the ones that the families will provide. Yeah, that's great. So Kylie, you and Sarah both had a piece in in that same Academy Today publication that was talking about eight specific outcome measures. And I think outcome measures in general are at a premium right now because we're realizing that as a profession, we really have to step up our game a little bit. And I thought that you guys did a great job of kind of outlining, you know, some of the things that are out there, but there's also a lot of challenges to gate-specific outcome measures, right? Can you tell me a little bit about some of those limitations to sort of the, the practical application of that? Yeah, absolutely. I think as you read through the article, we talked about like, who are these tests validated for? Like what population? A lot of them, it's for children with cerebral palsy. So if you're trying to apply it to someone who is an idiopathic toe walker, you're not necessarily going to be comparing apples to apples. So I think that's really important to note that just the applicability across patient populations. And like I said, to be able to compare to normal or to different patient presentations, especially for the pediatric population is really difficult. I think for the prosthetic population, we have the AMP Pro, which is really a nice, easy way to compare or to validate where they're at in their mobility, show insurance, show their doctors, and get them a new foot and see how they improve. But with these, specifically for these pediatric gait outcome measures, that's a little bit more difficult to do. I think Sarah has, in her practice, a little bit more experience with actually trying to implement some of these, if she wants to speak on that. Yeah. One of the outcome measures we reviewed in the article was the observational gait scale. We tried implementing this a couple years back. And like Kylie was saying, a lot of the scales are validated in the CP population. And that's the case with the observational gait scale. And for those that aren't familiar with this scale, it involves taking video, reviewing the video, and then rating about eight parameters on a scale. And then you end up with a number score that tells you about the quality of the gait. And so the idea of it was really great and we really liked it and we wanted to use it, but We are finding with the patient populations that we see, and although we see CP, a lot of our patients have idiopathic toe walking or developmental delay, Down syndrome, or they're going through um, oncology treatments. And for them, the test wasn't sensitive enough to pick up on some of these minor progressive changes that you may see that being better picked up in a CP or kiddo with CP where, you know, we will know that their gait will probably be pretty dramatically impacted by an AFO versus some other kids. We don't see it as much. So in the end, we just didn't feel like it was sensitive enough. And then we ended up not continuing to use it for that reason. We'd like to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor, Autobach. Grow into the cranial orthoses market with Microband, the innovative, customized, low-profile design 
makes the microband a unique alternative to dated foam helmets. Each band is uniquely designed using an objective 3D model of a child's exact cranial structure and state-of-the-art 3D printing technology. With precise scanning and fitting procedures, your patient's band is perfectly configured with no time wasted for foam modifications. Be the best treatment provider with the smartest cranial remolding orthosis on the market. So it sounds like we have these instruments, these outcome measures available when we're talking about gait, but most of them are really focused around gait lab parameters. So uh, Kylie, what do you think? Is there a way that the average clinician can maybe become more intentional with their gait analysis? I think the best way is to just collaborate and communicate with our ONP community. I think seeing what other people out there are doing, I know just talking to Sarah in our conversations, I've learned a lot from how she practices because I don't see a lot of pediatric orthotics and it's interesting to see the things that they implement and how can I apply that to adults and vice versa. And I think that in addition to that, it's also showing the limitations of where our research is right now in the field. You know, we need research that is just more broadly applicable to the populations we see, especially in orthotics, which can be difficult because I know as soon as you start introducing all these different variables, it's actually hard to do the research. So there's a lot of conundrums to address before we can make progress. But I think the, the goal that Sarah and I have for the Gate Society is that this is kind of a starting place for us to be able to collaborate with our peers in the ONP field. If people want to get together and just discuss the different techniques that they've been able to find usable or beneficial, that's a great place to share it with your peers. You know, and that's also, you know, what we try to do with our uh, academy meeting sessions. I know in I think it was 2020, we had Jennifer Richards on, and she basically went through her process of capturing video for idiopathic toe walkers and how she decides heel wedging. And basically, she discussed how she, in real time, implements Elaine Owen's methods as an orthotist. And so we are just trying to share and give these people more voices so that we're not so siloed in our practice. And you mentioned, you know, kind of your intentions and, and your efforts and goals that are kind of coming with the Gate Society. So, Sarah, maybe you can tell me a little bit about if somebody were to join the Gate Society or a member that's out there and maybe kind of a, a reminder of what is there to help support them clinically. What does the Gate Society have as sort of ongoing things that are resources for clinicians? Yeah, so... As a society, we're trying to put out different monthly things for our members. So that might be one month we might do a journal club where there's an article we're going to review and we'll put up an infogram that breaks it down and makes it simple because sometimes research, one, it's hard to find the time to read the articles and sometimes they're difficult to understand. So we want to make that simple for our members and we want a place for everyone to come and discuss those and talk about how do we integrate this into daily practice. On other months, we've also done some case studies where different clinicians in the society will present a difficult case and kind of talk through the gait analysis pre-intervention and post and kind of how did they get to what they decided on. Again, with the goal of kind of sharing this information across, you know, all different practices and helping you so you don't feel kind of siloed, like Kylie said. So those are two great things that we've been doing and we've gotten some good feedback on and it seems like our members like, you know, we're always looking for more ideas too and would love for people to get involved with the society. We tried to stay 
involved within the academy with academy today OMP edge articles to the academy meeting of course try to get a session every year for our members you had a few really good ones just recently we just finished up and you know one of those that i think was along the lines of some of the things you were saying was effectively interpreting research i believe Again, trying to bring that, you know, most of us are busy clinicians when other than researchers who are really diving into that. And I think that's one of the hard things for us to find time in our schedule is to really read all the research, interpret it, and then find the the couple of takeaways that really can help us on a day-to-day pace, right? Some great stuff at the Nashville meeting. Definitely. Thank you. And one of the questions that I get a lot from people who are interested is, I don't know if I can reach out to them or I like what they do, but I'm not sure if there's a place for me to do anything. And props to you guys, because you are certainly one of the most engaged societies. Definitely a lot of ideas. I can speak to that. A lot of movement and two very approachable and very inclusive people, right? So I would just encourage everybody who's interested just We'll find a way to to get some contact info for you, both uh, assuming that you want it out there. Maybe you'll find a new roommate in the future, too. You never know. (laughs) There you go. I love that. Yeah. And I wanted to just reiterate Sarah's point that we want the Gate Society to be an effective group for the members. Like We're not just here to disseminate information that we find useful. We want to hear from the members what they find useful. If what we're putting out there isn't meeting the mark, then let us know and bring ideas that can um, fit what you need because we're here to do that. And if anybody missed it too, I'll say this, you know, Kylie and Sarah, you you led a session on uh, gauge training for adult and pediatric orthotic users. So anybody who wasn't able to catch that session or any of the others that the Gate Society was a part of, there's still the option of getting that content online afterwards. So I would encourage everyone to go to the Academy's website and find that. Also, there was another session called Tactical Advantages on the Evidence-Based Battlefield. So I don't know, Sarah, if any thoughts around, you know, wrapping that one up or where to send people? Yeah, um, like you said, it was a really great session. You know, it talks through how do we apply research into daily practice. So I would definitely check it out. There were a lot of great panelists, lots of really good ideas. So check that out on the Academy website. If you missed it, I highly recommend it. We'll certainly put the pressure on our staff, hopefully, to get the uh, the links to those in the show notes here. You know, coming off of a, a meeting, I always love to know this one. You know, we just got done in Nashville, which was an amazing experience. One, one of the coolest hotels that I've been to in a long time. It is just absolutely huge. How do each of you kind of unwind, you know, at the end of a busy day of, of sessions? And it can be stressful when you're kind of leading sessions and presenting and doing more than one thing and, and more than just sitting back and consuming. How do you guys unwind a little bit? Sarah, what do you do at the end of a busy day there and in Nashville or at home or whatever? Well, I will say Kylie probably witnessed it firsthand when we shared that hotel room. I love to run. Running is my way to blow off steam and I was doing it at the 2022 Academy meeting and this past one, hitting the gym and running a little bit. I love running distance. I just completed my third marathon this past summer. Not sure what I got planned for this year, but uh, my husband would say that he would like me to stop running marathons. <laughs> he will never join me. <laughs> How about you, Kylie? What, what do you what do you like to do at the end of a busy day? Is there a drink of choice? Are you a, a... <laughs> Or is it a hit in the slopes in Colorado? Or what are your vices? I can't turn on a drink, but I would say my uh, definite go-tos are 
getting up to the mountains, hiking, snowshoeing. Um, I'm also a yogi. I love to do yoga things and also to disseminate yoga on a wider scale for more accessibility for individuals. So, yeah. Cool. Well, you were stuck in flatlands there in Nashville, so it must have been a lot of yoga going on. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, if anybody's interested, Kylie, how can someone look up the Gates Society? How can they get involved? Where's the best place to start? Best place to start is to just go to the Academy website under the Scientific Societies tab. You can navigate your way to the Gate Society. That's an easy way to see what content we've been creating and kind of see if anything piques your interest. But you can also just email Sarah and I directly and get a hold of us and see what we've caught in store because we're definitely trying to get more people involved. And Sarah, is there any projects or any any needs that you have at the moment that come to mind? I know there's always a place for anybody who's interested. And if they have a specific interest, I mean, I know from being involved with the societies, we will find a way to work you in. But is there anything that comes to mind in areas of involvement that are need for you right now? Yes, definitely. So, well, first I will say we welcome anyone to reach out. It doesn't matter if you've had one year of experience, you're a resident, you've been in the field for 20 years. We would love everyone's involvement. Kylie and I both started with the Gate Society with less than three years of experience in the field. So don't be afraid to reach out and we would love to get you involved. We are looking to sign people up for some roles within our society. Uh, the roles include a publications coordinator, a social media coordinator, a recruitment officer, and an education or activity coordinator. So they should be really fun roles. If you're interested or want to learn more about them and what's involved, we're happy to discuss it with any of you. Perfect. And and I'm going to get with Manisha. We're going to get these uh, roommate applications going so that we can get them online and find you. You know, it's, we're going to need headshots. We're going to need uh, a list of favorite activities, what snacks they're going to bring, um, you know, all, all of that kind of stuff. You could really, you might be able just to make this a lucrative thing. Hey, it's not a bad way to network. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Sarah and Kylie, it, it's been amazing having you on. Thank you for everything you do for the Academy, for the profession, especially uh, around Gates and the Gates Societies. But it's, it's been great having you. So thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having, thanks for having us. And thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of OMP Clinical Care Insiders. Join us each month as we continue our conversation with key voices in the OMP community discussing their areas of clinical care and sharing personal experiences as professionals in that specialty. We would like to extend a special thank you to our episode sponsor, Autobach. For more information, visit their website at shop.autobach.us. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to check out the Academy's other podcasts for OMP professionals, the award-winning OMP Research Insights with Dr. Steve Gard, and OMP Rising, a podcast created for emerging professionals in our industry. For more information on the American Academy of Orthotists and Prosthetists, visit us online at onp.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>